Hey, soulmates, plenty to talk about as always on this Thursday. We're going to be talking about the bishop who's now accused of real estate fraud and the partnership between Howard University and PNC Bank that will benefit students. One want to welcome you to Fox Soul's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks. And I'm the Cordelai Corte, plus Brittany Griner showing her support of trans athletes and how Derby Diversity Week is giving us a seat at the table. They're the stories that impact our people. We're going to bring you our news, our views, our voice. So let's get into our top conversation this uh, afternoon. Senator Raphael Warnock called for Congress to pass meaningful gun safety laws after a shooting in Atlanta on Wednesday that killed one person and injured four at a medical center in the city's Midtown neighborhood. It is not for us right for us to live in a nation where nobody is safe no matter where they are. We're not safe in our schools. We're not safe in our workplaces. We're not safe at the grocery store. We're not safe at movie theaters. We're not safe at spas. We're not safe in our houses of worship. There is no sanctuary in the sanctuary. 24-year-old Dion Patterson, pictured here, is the suspect and has been charged with murder and four counts of aggravated assault. Schools in the area went on lockdown, including those attended by Warnock's two children. The senator expressed concern for his children's safety and pointed out the growing number of gun violence and the incidents across the U.S. Despite the public support for stricter gun control measures, Republicans have opposed them, uh, leading to a divide between the people's desires and government action. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office is investigating the death of Jordan Neely, a homeless man who was placed in a chokehold on a New York subway train earlier this week. The passenger who put him in a chokehold was taken into custody and investigators are considering pressing charges against him. Neely, who was in the chokehold for about 15 minutes, passed out and could not be resuscitated by medical responders. The incident was captured on video and has sparked outrage. Authorities are awaiting autopsy results before deciding on charges. New York City comptroller Brad Lander criticized the incident on Twitter saying the city is not Gotham. Definitely uh, agree with that statement. And I know that video is probably pretty hard for a lot of our soulmates mm -hmm. to watch. It's, it's, it's very reminiscent of George Floyd, in, in my opinion. Absolutely. Uh, this time, it's, Absolutely. it's not the knee on the neck. It's the, it's the, it's the chokehold. And what is so disturbing is there's actually three guys that I think should all be uh, looked at as far as charges are concerned. You had the one ex-Marine in the chokehold, mm -hmm. and then there were two other uh, white men holding this man down as he became lifeless and, and limp. You can tell that uh, he was you know, in distress, and they're still doing their best to restrain him uh, and for them to walk away. Mm -hmm. at this point um, is absolutely uh, deplorable and I'm, I'm hoping that everybody uh, continues to circle back around and take a look at some serious, serious charges. And what did they think was going to happen if you have a man in a chokehold for 15 minutes? That's right. Do you have anybody in a chokehold for 15 minutes? That's a recipe for death. An ex-Marine who is trained to kill and I understand I, I don't have any video or there's not a lot of video of what this man may have been doing um, as far as frightening passengers, maybe being, um, you know, loud and obnoxious. I, I get that. A lot of times with homeless, uh, we're dealing with mental issues and concerns. Most times if you walk away, they'll kind of leave you alone. Um, so I don't know what prompted this ex-Marine to, to do this, but he as a Marine 
lead. I know you are trained uh, to kill. It was definitely excessive force. So I understand this whole idea of trying to be this good Samaritan or maybe Superman as the uh, person alluded, alluded to as far as Gotham City is concerned. But this was over the top and a man did not need to lose his life. But we've got to search our hearts and we've got to we've got to understand if we're going to be a civilized society, mm -hmm. we cannot allow people to decide to take people's lives into their own hand. I don't care how obnoxious somebody's being on a train. Right. It is it does not give anybody license to take a life. Yeah. A 15 minute chokehold. Yeah. And of course, you know, you got to put the race card out there. You have three white men who are restraining a, a black man. You can't go without, you know, placing that on the table. It's just in inevitable uh, as far as what's happening mm. in the atmosphere here in our country. Let's move on here. Kathleen uh, Casillo uh, drove her car into a group of activists during a Black Lives Matter protest. This happened in New York City in December of 2020. Now, despite being charged with reckless endangerment and hospitalized six people, uh, she was sentenced to just five hours of community service as a part of a plea deal. The charges notably did not include attempted murder. Casillo claimed she panicked behind the wheel due to the, quote, aggressive protesters. The lenient sentence has drawn much criticism for the perceived racial bias in the criminal justice system. We just spoke on that. One of the people struck by Casillo's vehicle called it an example of, quote, white supremacy. Five black Memphis police officers were charged with the murder of Tyree Nichols after brutally beating him during a traffic stop in January. A white officer, Preston Hemphill, who used a stun gun on Nichols during the initial traffic stop, won't face charges, but was fired for personal misconduct, lying, misuse of police property, and violating protocol. District Attorney Steve Mulroy stated that while they don't endorse Hemphill's conduct, they don't believe criminal charges are appropriate. Now, Nichols' family and attorney, Ben Crump, supported the decision, citing his cooperation with the investigation. I've determined that no criminal charges will be brought against Officer Hemphill. If you recall, Officer Hemphill was the MPD officer who uh, was part of the first encounter with Mr. Nichols, the first traffic stop, and was not present at the second encounter, the actual beating that led to his death. We took the time to do an extremely thorough investigation of this part of the case. You know, look, the, the family supports the decision. Mm -hmm. Ben Crump supports the decision. Um, you know, when I read it, you know, I still thought, OK, he used the stun gun. He was involved, right, with at least the first part. There were two mm -hmm. parts uh, to this uh, situation with Tyree Nichols. He was a part of, of the first one. But under the law mm -hmm. in Memphis, right, uh, you know, they don't feel like uh, uh, it, it rises to the uh, uh, the the the, the standard mm -hmm. of criminal charges. Yeah, look, if the family is okay with it, they're the ones who have you know been impacted the most. If the family is okay with it, you know I'm 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 okay with it, and we continue to you know pray and keep them in our thoughts as they continue you know this journey uh, for justice and, and healing. Let's move on here to Bishop Lamore Whitehead, who is facing a 3.5 million dollar lawsuit for allegedly claiming ownership of a Brooklyn church building and evicting the occupants. What happens to what happened to be a another ministry. Now, the lawsuit alleges Whitehead claimed to own the church building in Brooklyn that he never actually owned. You remember this guy, right? He also submitted a fraudulent deed to the office uh, of the uh, city of Register uh, and the Whitehead uh, leads uh, 
Whitehead leads the leaders of tomorrow. That's at International Ministries. That's what he calls his church. And he has denied the allegations and called the lawsuit frivolous. In addition to the latest legal trouble, Whitehead has faced other controversies in the past, including accusations of falsifying bank documents and staging a robbery at his church. Y'all remember now everybody the, bishop, the e good bishop. Everyone should be presumed innocent until proven guilty. But on the other hand, if it looks like a duck and quacks like a duck, yeah, and the streets have been talking even before uh, the robbery, uh, you know, aired live on social media. Once that did, it kind of opened up that mm -hmm. whole dialogue about this guy uh, being kind of dirty uh, from jump and the lifestyle and how lavish it was and how braggadocious him and his, his wife were across social media. So, you know, no surprise that these are charges, these allegations uh, continue. And I think they're so far gone. I don't, I don't understand how he's gonna try to walk his way back and you know who who how do you become like does, can you be a bishop can i be a bishop like who gets to be a bishop you know that's Listen, the, the credibility you, you, you got to but you got to trust and verify yes you uh, do and you know who also tries to steal a church mm -hmm. you know, he did. who 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 allegedly falsifies a deed yeah. you know say hey i own this 30 day notice yeah, and, get out and put the put that ministry put that church out of the who church. Who does that? Right. Who it's, does it's, that? It's crazy. Well, sad news as American sprinter and long jumper Tori Bowie, a three-time Olympic medalist and two-time world champion, passed away at 32 years old. Her agent confirmed her death, saying that Bowie was found dead at her home in Florida, and the cause of death is yet unknown. Bowie won gold in the four by one meter relay, silver in the 100 meter and bronze in the 200 meter at the 2016 Rio Olympics, as well as two gold medals at the 2017 World Championships. She was also a three-time All-American at the University of Southern Mississippi. Her last official competition was in June, 2022. 20-year-old Gabriel Dickerson has become the youngest black man to be sworn into the city council of Cairo, Illinois. The city has been in a state of economic decline since the 60s, and Dickerson has promised to address issues such as housing insecurity under his new position. 26-year-old Romello Orr was also sworn into council on the same day and is keen to encourage more young people to get involved in developing a new community for Cairo's residents. Orr's father, who passed away back in September previously served on that city council. Brigadier General Enoch Woody Woodhouse Jr., one of the last living Tuskegee Airmen, mm. was honored with a doctorate from Norwich University. Woodhouse served as a finance officer for the Tuskegee Airmen during World War II. Despite passing the flight training exams, Woodhouse never became an airman after the U.S. Army terminated the program. The Tuskegee Airmen Pilot Program graduated its first class in 1942. It is never too late and it's good to see, you know, this man and, and a lot of the uh, folks that we've talked about, you know, get their just due better late uh, than never. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And Norwich University, I mean, you know, they are preeminent military school. Mm -hmm. um, and so it means a lot for them to honor him in this way with a doctorate. I mean, you know, this guy, you know, 
talks about how they, they didn't write checks back in that day. Mm -hmm. He paid in cash. Yeah. And, you know, he talked about how blacks were told and it was publicized that yeah. they lacked intelligence, right? Yeah. And so from 1942 to the present, he has seen a lot uh, of change, particularly in our military. And mm -hmm. so um, it's great to see him being recognized um, and really overcoming yeah. uh, the odds of, of serving in a military that wasn't checking for us. And look at how, you know, the last couple of stories we just tapped into, look at how it spans generationally mm -hmm. speaking. We have this this man getting his uh, just to, and then these two young men in Cairo, Illinois, uh, you know, right in the middle of uh, Generation Z, uh, making uh, a, a big difference. And I, I had to look and see where Cairo was, because I spent a lot of years in Chicago. I was like, I never heard of Cairo. It is actually about five and a half hours south of Chicago. So it's right there. I had to pull up the map. It's right there where Illinois taps down into where Missouri and mm -hmm. Tennessee and all. Mm -hmm. And it's right there. And like a lot of uh, black cities, uh, you know, who have suffered because of the riots, the 60s, the protests, that city has endured the same thing. And so to see these young men uh, come together, want to stay in their hometown and make a difference is, is something wonderful to see. And I think it, it just complements, you know, the story that we just talked about where somebody who's on the in the yesteryear of, of, of their of their professional career careers getting their accolades as well so it's a good look for the culture and it's good to see us on the front lines fighting for democracy right there at home that's right all right up next an annual event that's all about inclusion for our community that's right we'll tell you all about derby diversity week plus how it's given us a seat at the table you're watching foxhole's black report we'll be right back Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, the Kentucky Derby is set for this weekend, and this year also marks the sixth year for Derby Diversity Week. That's right. Now, the goal of the week is to increase awareness around diversity and establish equity for all. Here to discuss Derby Diversity Week is one of this year's participants, Michael Blake, founder of Atlas Strategy Group and president of Next Level Sports and Entertainment. We want to welcome you. Great to be with you. Thank you today. Hey, Indeed. Brother Blake. So, so tell us, how did you become affiliated with Derby University Week? You're the former director of African American Outreach uh, for the White House under Obama, you know, and former New York State Assembly member. How did you get affiliated with this Diversity Week? You know, I, I was connected through Jade Melvin. Uh, who is doing incredible work with Derby Diversity Week. Uh, it's led by Tawana Bain. Uh, and I've just seen uh, transformational opportunities. And, you know, real talk, it's, it's about showing how black and brown people care about horse racing and care about the journey that's happening here. Uh, this should not be a space where we're only talking about Kentucky uh, for the negative challenges mm. that have happened, obviously, with Breonna Taylor being most notable, uh, but elevating our black excellence. Uh, and so today uh, we had an incredible panel around women in sports uh, and demonstrating whether it came from polo to soccer to football, um, how we have that footprint in addition to, of course, what's happening with horse racing. So so shout out to Jay Melvin, shout out to Tawana Bain, uh, shout out to all things that are happening in the next few days here at Derby Diversity Weekend. And if you can get to Louisville, get here, 
because uh, I think you're going to love what's going on over these next few days. Absolutely. So so why is the Kentucky Derby such an important uh, event, you know, for the country? And then what is so significant about it uh, in regards to opening it up and exposing our culture to it? Well, you know, this weekend is the 149th uh, Kentucky Derby. Uh, and, you know, I, I learned even getting here this Friday is the Oaks. So, you know, it's the difference of the different races on both days. Mm-hmm. And look, I think from from horse racing to, to lacrosse to golf, there's so many times that there's sports where we don't see our people. Uh, and, and, and so we have to shift that narrative. And so it was important for me to be here because we wanted people to understand that, you know, next level sports entertainment, you have a nationally black owned sports TV network. Uh, you have Atlas Strategy Group, where we're helping implement equity and justice through sports and society. And so it was so important for us because at the end of the day, it is time for us to be the owners, the presidents, the executives, not just the athletes. Now, being an athlete is important. It's essential. Being the jockey is important. It's essential. But we need people to also understand that we run the show as well uh, and we can lead and we can lead well. Uh, and it's not just going to happen in spaces that are predominantly and only black. It's going to happen across the board. Uh, there was a great conversation that happened earlier around financial literacy that has to happen for the athletes. Do they come into all this money, but do they have the support that they need along that journey? Uh, Equally, how do we talk through the intersectionality that has to happen around social justice? Because, again, you can't be here in Louisville and be black and not think about what happened to Breonna Taylor. And so the, the, the duality of that of saying we need to be here, we need to elevate our diversity, but we need to show people that you will see our greatness, uh, not just on, on one day on Saturday at the Kentucky Derby, but you will see it throughout the week in what's happening with Derby Diversity Week led by Tawana and Jade and their team. You know, when most people That's think of stuff. a Kentucky Derby, they think of mint julep drinks and they think of all <laughs> the fashion, but you know, you all are clearly operating with a purpose. Talk to us about some of the panels and the events and the summit that's taking place there and what you hope people will glean from that. Well, well, let's be clear. My, my suit game is going to be strong these next few you, days. You better tell him, right? Mr. You Blake. Know, you, you, <laughs> well, I'm just saying, we got we to come strong. I mean, that's right. You, you can only see part of the fit right now. You gotta, you know? is your, how's your pocket square Saturday. ministry? How's your pocket square ministry looking? Oh, the po- oh my look, look, I, I'm still an AME preacher as well. So you know my pocket square well. game is going to be strong coming this weekend. Hey, I'm just saying, talk to the church right now. So, you know, we're going we gonna to be ready to come with the fit. You know, I got I to gotta figure out the new hat game for for Saturday as well. That's right. Uh, but we'll be ready for that. Um, you know, but like even even with the panels, you know, th- th- there was something beautiful that happened uh, just last night. We were down at 4th Street Live. It was the opening reception. You know, AJ Calloway, DJ Trauma, so many people that were involved in what's going on. Um, shout out to Derek Bell and the and the president of the Alphas that are here um, as well. We saw that people wanted to talk about entrepreneurship. They wanted to talk about housing. They wanted to talk about education, but they just want to talk about being black, mm. right? And the and the and the joy we have in being black. Uh, and so th- there was that responsibility. There's a, a, an exciting brunch that's happening next door, uh, and celebrating black women excellence um, at the same time um, as well. Uh, there's going to be a sneaker ball later on tonight, uh, so that we can celebrate our culture. Uh, but then even intertwined in that has been the conversation as we had earlier around women in sports around how do we make sure that the LGBTQIA community is embraced in the same way that black and brown is embraced in these conversations. Mm -hmm. So uh, we want to show people it's it's not just 
kicking it on Saturday for the Derby. It's about putting in the work to make sure that our people have the support that we need. Uh, and when we talk about equity and justice at scale through conscious capitalism, that's exactly what's happening here throughout Louisville and the Kentucky Derby. But that's what's going to continue for upcoming sports activations as well. Yeah, Mike, I love how you keep it real, you know, so so let so let's do just that for the for the soulmates watching in. You talk about black now is, is the Kentucky Derby, the traditional folks. Are they ready for us? The the, the way we show up and, and do the Kentucky Derby? Uh, are they really ready for, for that much diversity? <laughs> Because we do a little well, different. I don't, I, I, I don't know. Uh, are you ready? No. I don't know if anyone's ever fully ready for black excellence. <laughs> full stop. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. You know. So when you see all these folks showing up, mm -hmm. they're like, well, 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 wait a minute. You know. And you got to remind them, no, this is not an HBCU meeting. No, it's not. You know, it's it's, it's not the Divine Nine. You know, it's not it's not just black Greeks out here. That's right. We we can show up for horse racing. You mm -hmm. know, we can be a part of the legacy here. That's right. Um, and and you can see. It was important to setting that tone and mm -hmm. to, to Tawana Bain, what she set up, I think it sends a message, right, of you're not going to just have the derby and not talk about diversity, mm. right? You're not going to talk about what's going on in our country and not talk about sports. And we have a legacy with that, you know, whether it be Muhammad Ali, whether it be you know, Tommy and Carlos, whether it be what you know, Serena is consistently doing around tennis. Uh, we're going to show people that black excellence in sports is not just us dominating in the game, but it's dominating in society. Mm. Uh, and so the the framing of what's going on around education, the framing of what's going on around entrepreneurship, but also doing it with the style that we have, right? You know, you know, the image of the style that we used mm -hmm. to. <laughs> no question, no question. And and reminding people every day, all day, you know, black history doesn't just happen in February. Right. Well, well, speaking of black history, we know that black history has been under attack across the country. Uh, diversity, equity and inclusion programs have been under attack and rolled back. Why is DEI so important? Why is why are DEI efforts, particularly with the Kentucky Derby in this particular moment in U.S. history? Why is what you're doing so incredibly important as a symbol uh, to the country during these really challenging times? Well, it's essential. It's a, a great question. I appreciate that. Look, we, we see what's going on in Florida right now uh, around Governor DeSantis' attack on black and brown folk around DEI. Uh, we know that the anticipation in June around affirmative action and student loans with Supreme Court cases is also keeping us very uh, up at night. Uh, and so when you have these moments and opportunities around sports, and especially these notable ones such as a Kentucky Derby, we have to show people that there is the responsibility and the necessity for your bottom line, for your societal good, and for your community by having black folk in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And so we make more money when black and brown people are involved. We have better grades when black and brown people are involved. Less people are being incarcerated when black and brown people are involved. And so the responsibility here is use these major moments, no different than if we were at the World Cup for soccer, no different than we were at the Super Bowl for football. You had earlier in the segment, uh, the, the last Super Bowl being the highest rated ever. You know, I don't think it's surprising you had two black quarterbacks starting That's in that, right. that impacts things, right? I think when you do that for a derby, then we can show people we will not allow you 
to take away the impact of diversity, equity, and inclusion, no matter what courts and others may say, we're going to be a part of this. And so it was important for us to send that message mm-hmm. uh, and being consistent about that. You know, uh, tied together, I, I often think about the power of what happens in telling the story. And that's why I'm so grateful for what you're doing at Fox Soul. Like, we need people to see and hear it from our voices. That's right. And when they see our presence uh, and recognize that, yeah, this, this is not just white people showing up here. Uh, black folk love horse racing. Black mm-hmm. folk love these sports as well. Uh, and making it real practical, the power of Louisville. You know, if you're going to be here in Louisville, go mm-hmm. check out the Ali Center. That's and, right, you know, Understand that that was going on so we can really appreciate the greater good of what happens with black excellence. Absolutely. Amen. We believe you are a preacher. <laughs> we believe it. <laughs> yeah, Michael Blake uh, with Derby Diversity Week. Thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, I, I need to see you on my feed. I got to see how you coming. Uh, the hat, the suit, the, the pocket square. We got to check you out, man. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. We'll and, be uh, looking. We'll definitely have you back, You're too. You're going to be looking for me. I will. Follow me on, on IG. You're going to see the fit on Saturday. We'll be ready. Don't play. Don't play. Have a good one, Michael. Thanks so much. Be safe down there in Kentucky. Take care. Thank you. All righty. Let's continue to talk about uh, the Derby as more history uh, is being made in terms of ownership. Now, that's important. Joy Taylor, the co-host of uh, FS1's Speak, is the only black woman to lead on a sports opinion show, and now she is minority owner of uh, the three-year-old Colt Jace's Road, which is heading to Churchill for the annual Kentucky Derby, that's it. She says uh, she's so honored to be a part of this historical moment. It is so very meaningful to have ownership and equity in a horse. Brittany Griner is taking her support of trans athletes to a whole nother level. The WNBA superstar says she supports the inclusion of transgender athletes and says she'll be more vocal on trans people participating in sports. She made the supportive comments during a press conference this week while at training camp for her new team, the Phoenix Mercury. She ended her comments by saying, quote, it's a crime to ban trans people from competing with biological women in sports. And she looked fantastic on the red carpet with her wife Mm -hmm. uh, this week's uh, past Meta uh, Gala uh, representing. Yeah. Uh, And it's just good to see her back, you know, back to life, you know, back to her life after what she has uh, endured. And it was just really good to see. And the warm embrace. I mean, she was also at the White House Correspondence Center as well. So she's sort of making her rounds and then she, Mm -hmm. you know, went right back to Arizona to training camp, Mm -hmm. right? Because she's about her business. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's great to see her not um, exercising any restraint in making her voice known on some of the you know biggest issues of our time, particularly mm-hmm. impacting black folks, mm-hmm. impacting uh, LGBTQ folks, mm-hmm. and impacting folks overseas that are wrongly detained. And speaking of an impact, going back to the Kentucky uh, Derby, uh, we, we didn't get a chance to get it in with uh, Michael Blake, who's with uh, the Diversity Week uh, crew, but go to KentuckyDerby.com you will see a page dedicated to the legacy of black jocks and their impact, the the impact black horsemen had Mm -hmm. starting in the late 1800s, 1875 to be exact, there were like 15 black uh, jockeys. Out of those 15, 11 of them won titles. It is absolutely fascinating. They have them listed individually and their stories and what they had to go through and what they were able to overcome. So when you talk about already being anchored in some of these uh, events and and sporting, Mm -hmm. you know, that don't necessarily sometimes swing around Mm -hmm. and cater to us, all you got to do is dig. You don't even have to 
to dig that deep to see that we've already been there. And it's really, that's a really great reminder yeah. for all of our soulmates because, you know, when I think of the Kentucky Derby, mm -hmm. I think of, you know, a very, you know, a historically white yep. event, no. right? I don't think of black people as, you know, playing sort of an outsized role or being a part of that history. And so mm -hmm. thank you for pointing, Trust pointing me, that out. it was out built on the backs of black horsemen. Go to the history. It's Kentucky, KentuckyDerby.com. They have a whole page of the legacy of black horses. Another reason why we've got to know our history. That's right. Because so many of them trying to erase That's it. That's right. Trying to ban well, books you know, and I'm stuff. A, I'm a documentary just freak. So uh, I, anything that comes out or anything I can tap into. So I, I, I saw something like that years and years ago. Yeah. yeah, indeed. All right, still ahead, the work they're doing is beyond impactful and 15 years of awareness. That's right. We'll have the ladies from Black and Missing to discuss all the work that they've done and continue to do. You're watching Fox News Black Report. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, Child Protective Services had custody of Mila Jackson, a newborn baby, for 22 days before mm -hmm. returning her to her parents. Mila's removal uh, sparked concerns about racial injustice in the child welfare system, which many experts describe as policing black families. Black children who make up a minority of the population have the largest percentage of its population in foster care. False reports of abuse and neglect are common, and the system often lumps neglect and poverty into the same category. That's right, advocates are pushing for a radically different approach and the dismantling of the current system. It is good to see that that baby is back uh, with her family after they did all the right things with deciding to have a home birth. Yeah, and, and, and they had no reason to take her. That's right. You know, I mean, that seemed like a really extreme measure, and I think our soulmates should be really alarmed mm -hmm. at the fact that this family intended to have a natural uh, childbirth, which they did. They wanted to keep things as natural wife. as possible. They were in regular communication with the pediatrician, who all of a sudden turned left. I mean, the kid, the kid was diagnosed with jaundice. They were told how to care for her at home. Uh, but then all of a sudden, the pediatrician urged them to come in, come in, come in, and then sent Child Protective Services, right? Which started this whirlwind, and, 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 this, and this couple is just getting a newborn, their newborn back. You, yeah. you cannot get that time back. And we all know that bonding, you know, is so precious, especially, you know, in the very, very beginning. So uh, hopefully they can, you know, put things back on track and, and get to loving on uh, baby Mila. And hopefully this, this doctor, story. hopefully this doctor has to account for, well, why did you call Child Protective Services? In the first and place. Does this doctor have a pattern of reaching out to child protective services prematurely. I mean, that is just really alarming. Parenting while black. We were just talking about driving uh, while black earlier in the week. Parenting while black. That seems to be, you know, what this all boils down to. And and let's stick with our young people for a minute as the Black and Missing Foundation is launching a 16 city billboard campaign this month in honor of its 15 year anniversary. Black and Missing uh, has been established as a nonprofit organization whose mission is to bring awareness to missing persons of color, provide vital resources and tools to missing persons, families and friends, and to educate the uh, minority community on personal safety. So here to discuss the campaign and uh, Black of Black and Missing Foundation are the organization's founders, Natalie and Derricka Wilson. Welcome back to the Black Report, ladies. 
Thank you. Thank you so, so much, much for having us. Absolutely. It is so good to see you again. First, let's let's thank you and love on you and appreciate you for 15 years of fighting uh, the black and missing, fighting for the black and missing, getting into that real good trouble that our culture absolutely needs. Tell us about the campaign and what you hope to accomplish through through the campaign. Okay. Well, 40% of all missing persons cases are people of color. And because they're not getting the same level of media coverage and law enforcement resources as their white counterparts, to be quite frank, you know, their cases are remaining open four times longer. So awareness is key in finding them. And as you mentioned, for our 15th year anniversary this month, we're launching a 16 city billboard campaign. Mm -hmm. So we're highlighting 48 cases and we hope to have 10 million people to see these um, these profiles. And we hope that it could result in a safe recovery or at least answers for families. And the billboard will be in cities like Detroit, Atlanta, LA, and across the country. And we even have a partnership with the Milwaukee Bucks who they're using nice. their, um, their video board. Very, very nice. Uh, we'll have to continue to look out uh, for that billboard. So let, let's take it back and, and talk a little bit about the beginnings, the infancy of, of, of this uh, organization, of this foundation. Uh, why, why the start? Was it, was it, a, was it a personal interest, uh, extended family, a friend? How did this all begin for you ladies? Well, this started uh, 15 years ago. There was a young lady that went missing from my hometown of Spartanburg, South Carolina in 2004. And despite the fact that her aunt worked in media relations, she really struggled to garner that coverage for her niece. And a year later, Natalie Holloway disappeared and me saying her name alone, mm. everyone can recognize that name. So Natalie and I decided to do some research. And at the time when we started the organization 15 years ago, 30% of missing persons in the United States were persons of color, mainly black men, and that number has increased today to 40%. So what we're trying to do is bring awareness to our missing. We need law enforcement resources and we need our media. And at the end of the day, we need our community so we can help find and bring our missing home. Sure. And so what are the, what are some of the common or specific causes uh, as to why we go missing? And then, you know, what should or shouldn't people do uh, when they think they've encountered someone who has been reported missing? That area is kind of gray. Do you report? Do you don't report? Do you have to wait it out? Help us out with that. Well, Oftentimes, when families are going to law enforcement, law enforcement classify missing children as runaways, mm -hmm. and runaways do not meet the criteria for an Amber Alert. And when it's adults, their disappearance is often met with some sort of criminal um, activity, and it really dehumanizes and desensitizes the fact that these are valuable members of our community. The other issue is there is no holistic approach across the country. Every jurisdiction can operate in a manner in which they choose. So some jurisdictions require a 24-hour wait, waiting period, mm -hmm. while others can take the report immediately. So we really need our lawmakers to step in, create legislation that all cases, regardless of race, regardless of gender, and regardless of zip code, they're handled and treated the same way. Yeah, so there are some states that are creating uh, legislation centered around black and missing uh, people. How do you how do you all feel about uh, that and the effort? Is is it is it enough? 
Well, I will say it's a step in the right direction. And these bills pretty much say when, you know, time is critical, you really need to be able to reach the most amount of people in the shortest period of time. Mm -hmm. Then we need to tap into the media outlets and we need to hold law enforcement accountable. So if we aren't doing our jobs and these legislators aren't pushing to protect those that are most vulnerable, then they're slipping through the cracks and under the radar. So we think that it's a right step and a step in the right direction, but definitely have much more work to do. Indeed. So we here at Fox Souls Black Report, we are looking forward to kicking off our Black and Missing segment. Um, so to help amplify the foundation's mission, what can our viewers um, expect when we tap in and, and talk about uh, this, this foundation and, and the message and really the goal as we continue this conversation? Well, first, we want to say thank you for partnering Absolutely. with us. For bi-weekly yes, feature you. of missing persons cases. And it's really a win, not only for the organization, but for the families that we serve. So you will get to hear from family members directly mm. about their missing loved ones. And we hope again, that it will result in bringing them home or at least answers for them. So thank you for this opportunity. Indeed, and before we let you go today, can you give us a, a, an idea of some of the cases that you're working now, how we can uh, tap in and maybe learn more about um, some of the uh, cases that are happening right now that you need you know, our help with, soulmates help with? Absolutely. One case that we want to mention is Destiny Patterson. She's missing from Chesapeake, Virginia. Mm -hmm. She's 16 years old. She's been missing since March the 28th. Wow. She walked out of school while school was still in session and jumped into the car with an adult male that she met online a week prior to her disappearing. Mm -hmm. And she hasn't been heard or seen since. So if the viewers can go to our website, bamfi.org, they may see something or know something that can help us in this nightmare for the family. Wow, my goodness. And I just want to add really quickly, you know, you can't turn a blind eye to this issue. Mm -hmm. So just because you may not know the missing loved one, don't just, you know, not take action. We need our community to get involved and start with who's missing from your community and share it with your network because it could help bring someone home. Yeah, and speaking of sharing, I just, you know, I, I, I belong, you know, on all across social media and I just can't scroll past, especially when it's a young child missing. I, I take a moment to, to read, uh, to see what has happened, uh, you know, to check in with the family, maybe do a little Googling. So, you know, soulmates, if, you, if you're watching, um, you know, let's really uh, uh, sensitize ourselves, if you will, um, to making sure we tap into those stories, especially when we see them uh, across social media. So ladies, we definitely appreciate uh, your efforts and we're looking forward uh, to this partnership. Uh, Natalie and Derricka Wilson, thank you so much. And we'll be checking in with you very, very soon. We appreciate you. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up, the new docu-series about Tupac and his mom. It's making headlines this week. That's right, we'll tell you all about it. Uh, the records it broke during its premiere on FX. You are watching Fox Soul's Black Report. We'll be right back, Soulmates.
Welcome back to Foxhole's Black Report. Well, ex escape group members and Real Housewives of Atlanta star Candy Burris is one step closer to EGOT status. Y'all gonna stop doubting Candy. She's I been never nominated. Well, listen, she's been nominated for, get this, both Tonys and Emmys. Now, in an announcement by Bravo, the Real Housewives of Atlanta star has been nominated for a Southeast Emmy in the uh, historic cultural politics uh, uh, government societal concerns category. That's a lot for her work in L.A. Musica de la Familia. The escape member and her husband, Todd Tucker, also scored a Tony nomination for Best Revival of a Play after joining the Piano Lessons uh, production team. That's right. Samuel L. Jackson, who starred in the play, also earned a Tony nomination for Best Featured Actor in a Play. Congratulations to all. Yeah. We love to see it. Let me tell you, yeah. this, this Candy Burris right here. You're stop doubting and questioning Candy. Candy Burris is on her game. She is. Um, and I just love how, you know, she's not just, you know, your typical Real Housewife. She's mm -hmm. really leveraged her presence on that show, yeah. you know, to support a number of, of marketing and creative efforts, yeah. right? And so whether we're talking about Candy Coated Nights, mm -hmm. right, the, you know, that show or the Candy Coated Products, mm -hmm. right? And, it, you know, there, there's so much variety in her entrepreneurship, you know, from actual products, you know, to plays and music and tours and all of that. The consistency is unmatched. Mm -hmm. I mean, first and foremost, she she didn't join the Real Housewives till much later, and, and at this point, she is the longest running housewife, uh, at least on that Atlanta, uh, you know, franchise, that Atlanta show. And you know, I I just I'm I'm, I'm hoping for this shift with Candy because every time I hear her talk, it's always she's always on the defensive, having to defend and or explain herself. So at some point, Candy, as you continue to rack up uh, the coins and the accolades and the Awards, you don't have to explain yourself anymore. Nope, let let these women bicker about what they want to bicker about and keep it moving. Mm -hmm. you, you, I mean, undisputed. You can't can't be mad at it. She's great. Go Candy. That's go. That's right. All right, Trey Songs. A lot of us have been mad at him over the past few years, getting in all this trouble. But this time, he will no longer face charges for punishing a woman at uh, punching rather a woman at a bowling alley. This happened last year, and he comes after prosecutors uh, dismissed the most serious accusations against him uh, back in October. October. You may remember it was reported that Trey punched a woman repeatedly in the face and dragged her by the hair uh, into a New York bowling alley bathroom. Trey Songs was also accused of punching a man in the eye but then turned himself into uh, police. The singer will be required to complete 12 anger management courses by this summer. And that's really an important piece. Um, you know, he is very lucky mm -hmm. uh, to have been charged with, you know, 10 counts mm -hmm. and have gotten off, you know, with anger management. Mm -hmm. He is really lucky because there are a lot of, a lot of folks out there, particularly a lot of black men out there who find themselves in very similar cases, you know, where they ain't getting off on yeah. 10 counts, right? Yeah. And so hopefully he takes this anger management seriously, you know, and does the work, does the work to, mm -hmm. to address whatever it is, you know, that is, you know, leading him to make poor decisions and hurt people. My concern is that every time, you know, Trey Songs hits, you know, the news, you know, you go to social media and you see the stories, especially with all the bloggers, and then you, you tap into the comments. You know, there are a lot of young ladies who still, you know, accuse him of a lot of wrongdoing, mm -hmm. um, whose cases haven't been looked at or, you know, there haven't been charges bought. And so it's just disturbing, you know, is, is, is everybody lying? Is everybody making something up? Um, 
so, you know, I'm hoping, you know, with him being able to skate by this situation uh, and really kind of like with a slap on the wrist that he redirect and, and, and shift his, his, his paradigm a little bit and, and stick to the music and, 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 and cool out on, on the ladies a little bit and really focus in on his career. I mean, I don't know if everybody could be lying if he he did get anger management, mandated anger management mm -hmm. from the court. And mm -hmm. so that says that mm, there's at least yeah. a little bit of smoke uh, out there. I'm just saying, there's, just, yeah, there's, there's, just, been a, there's just been sure. a lot of stories, you know. Every time he, he comes around in that news cycle, you, you hear more and more. So that's a that's unfortunate. I know you're innocent until, you know, proven guilty, but sometimes you just want to minimize the talk. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Well, speaking of the talk, the highly anticipated FX Tupac Shakur docuseries, Dear Mama, broke records as it's the most watched premiere for an FX unscripted series. The docuseries reveals details of the iconic rapper's relationship with his mama. It's directed by award-winning director Alan Hughes, and it's a deeply personal five-part series that shows a relationship between a mother and a son. Tupac was killed in a drive-by shooting in 1996. His mother died 20 years yeah. later. And every time I see, there's been so many documentaries. This one, of course, you know, it offers up a, a totally different uh, perspective, which is why people have probably, you know, watched to, to see what this one talks about and focuses in on. But it, it just amazes me the, the very beginnings of Tupac. It wasn't, it wasn't gangster. It wasn't. He was just a very cool kid who, mm -hmm. who loved the arts and acting and jumping and flipping and dancing and and to. What he kind of, you know, morphed into was very interesting, and and it also, you know, when these documentaries come up, it, it takes me back to my days on radio. I was on the radio when when the news came mm -hmm. in. I think it was September of I have it written '96, um, ex explaining to the viewers mm -hmm. uh, that that Tupac was gone, and then six months later to experience that yet again with another, you know, at that point still heavyweight. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the game, even though they were, he was just in the beginnings of his career, Biggie was huge, yeah. and to, to lose him six months later. So every time a documentary comes mm -hmm. out, it just brings me back to those moments. And even though it's been 20 plus years, I still can't believe they are not here. Yeah, yeah, and, and, and I remember when Tupac was killed. Mm -hmm. um, I remember when the song Dear Mama mm -hmm. uh, was released, and you know, it was a hit. Uh, and you know, what a tribute to Tupac, his mother, their relationship as we're, you know, only a week away mm -hmm. or a few weeks away from Mother's Day. Yeah. What, what a moving tribute uh, to this mother and son. Uh, Tupac was one of a kind, mm -hmm. you know, he was one of a kind. And the fact that his music continues to be relevant, his life continues to be relevant, um, even in death, it, it says a lot about how he lived. Indeed. And Indeed. his art. All right. Uh, we made history at uh, this year's Super Bowl game. And uh, it was the most watched uh, telecast in the U.S. Uh, this year's game was the first to ever feature two black quarterbacks and a black halftime performer. Now, according to new Nielsen data, 115.1 million viewers tuned in to watch the game between the Kansas City Chiefs and the Philadelphia Eagles. But the, the NFL was like, hold on a minute, because 113 million viewers was the original a reported number and apparently the NFL found a mistake with how Nielsen accounted for some of those viewers crediting the NFL network instead of uh, the Fox uh, network which the game uh, was viewed on. Uh, viewership was up 2% from last year's Super Bowl which had 112.3 viewers. There's always something to it but they, but they got it right. That's very significant. It you know, is, one, it, 112 to 115, it, you got to count everybody in there. It's very significant especially considering 
hearing, you know, the accusations of racial injustice mm -hmm. in the NFL. Remember Coach Flores, who still has a case that's pending against the NFL, alleging discrimination in terms of opportunities related to coaching. Mm -hmm. Remember when Colin Kaepernick took a knee mm -hmm. and a lot of people took sides mm -hmm. on that. Um, and so what a difference it makes, you know, having black entertainers mm -hmm. and uh, perform during the halftime show and in and, and the beginning of the show, remember Shirley Ralph uh, performed uh, Lift mm -hmm. Every Voice. Mm -hmm. And also, you know, remember uh, having two black quarterbacks, that's something that we haven't really seen before. And mm -hmm. so you put all this stuff together in addition to Jay-Z, who's been sort of a senior advisor to the NFL, it's really a testament, mm -hmm. you know, to the power of you know, black entertainers to sort of make it safe and cool again mm -hmm. to lean into the NFL. Yeah, and you know, Nelson, um, you know, they, they, they've had to often sometimes explain themselves as to how they measure, um, you know, black uh, viewers and Hispanic viewers and, and how much they include us, you know, in those pools, uh, seeing as though we, we are the ones who take it in, you know, we are the ones watching and, and creating a lot of this content. So I know there's been in the past conversations as to how Nielsen goes about, you know, coming up with these numbers and and good for the NFL to say, hey, we know we can feel based upon our our, our stats and numbers. There were a lot more people watching this uh, historic uh, Super Bowl with these two black quarterbacks, a black performer and, and all of the the uh, uh, mm -hmm. Showtime or pre pre uh, Super Bowl activity. And um, I'm, I'm good that the real numbers got out there. I think the next big question is, since there are so many people watching, mm -hmm. so what you going to do about these issues around opportunities for more black coaches, opportunities for more black quarterbacks, opportunities for more black vendors, for more black ownership, right? And so it's not enough to celebrate the fact that there are more people watching the Super Bowl than ever. The question is, what's the NFL gonna do to make sure that you know there's more opportunity and not less for those of us who are watching? Hire Usher to do the Super Bowl halftime next year. And, <laughs> and 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 make sure that more of those teams get into black ownership. Just saying. Up next, it's our favorite segment, Black Excellence. Uh-huh. We'll tell you all about the partnerships Howard University has in the works to benefit students. It's Fox Soul's Black Report on the way. That's right, we want more ownership. Howard University selects Ben Vincent III as the 18th president. A presidential search committee selected Vincent after conducting a year-long search. The board of trustees unanimously voted to hire Vincent, who is a historian of the African diaspora, with a focus on blacks in Latin America. Howard officials believe that his leadership will strengthen the university's legacy by being a powerful thought leader on issues of global significance that puts the voices and experience of students, faculty, staff, and alumni right there at the center. Yeah, he's currently a provost and executive vice president at Case Western Reserve University in Cleveland. I know all the bisons are celebrating. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's a pretty big win for yeah, Howard. Yeah, and you know, listen, he is uh, inheriting, if you will, a great institution. Mm -hmm. We talk about Howard often, you know, it's it's the Mecca, it's one of the more prominent, very popular HBCUs. Um, but I'm, I'm sure he's also um, inheriting some, some issues that uh, he's gonna have to address and, and hopefully solve. You know, I, I, I quite often ask, are the students okay? I mean, mm -hmm. not too long ago, they were uh, very concerned and upset about their, 
you know, living conditions mm -hmm. and things of that nature. So I'm sure there's other things on the other side of the, the docket, if you will, that he's going to have to address. So we wish him the best. More affordable housing and better housing for students. That'd be a great place to All start. All right. So from D.C. right up the way to Baltimore, Morgan State and Howard University are teaming up with PNC Foundation for Black Business a Hub to help expand black owned businesses. That's right. It's a new business hub and pop up market created to encourage students to display from the ground up business skills and resources that can level the playing field for potential black business owners. School officials say the collaboration will have a long term effect on blacks in the business space and the overall community. The PNC Foundation will host its conference for black entrepreneurship from June 14th through the 16th in Washington, D.C. All right. Yeah. It's a great opportunity. It is. It is. It is. It's great to see, you know, more support for black entrepreneurship makes yeah. makes a big difference. Yeah, especially, you know, as these banks are going through what they're going through, you know, to, to take some time out uh, to definitely um, hone in on on black students and black entrepreneurship. To me, it sounds like they understand the value and want to uh, cater to that. Keep it up. Keep All it going. All right. For the full run on full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Hills video on demand on any of our partners. Uh, you can even access uh, past shows and other content. Don't forget to download the Fox Hill app because it's free. Thanks for joining us today. I am Courtney Hicks. And I'm Nicordelai Corte. On behalf of the entire team here at Fox Hills Black Report, stay lifted. And stay safe.